Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. You're in the clubhouse with Kyle Bailey. Let's roll. Sports Radio FNZ back on a Tuesday morning. Kyle Bailey here with you, and I'm stuck with Preppy's ass for the next three hours. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love Prep. He's in. We appreciate him. Evan Smoke Ludwig, the young scholar that he is, he's got his fall course schedule beginning today. He'll join us a bit later. He's out there chasing his academic dreams. But Preppy, kind enough to hang out for a few more hours and uh, and put us on the air and keep us there. we got a bunch to get to coming up in about 41 minutes. We'll talk to Rick Bunnell, Charlotte Observer. Hornets beat writer Rick joins me every Tuesday morning at 1040. We'll talk about a bit of the uh, NBA playoffs last night. Some incredible, incredible performances last night from Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic and others. So we'll get to all that with Rick. We'll talk about the NBA draft lottery coming up on Thursday. Hard to believe that it's already here, but it is pretty much already here. So we'll get to all that coming up at 1040 with Rick Bunnell. But I want to start with Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yesterday, as we all found out late yesterday afternoon, just a couple of hours before tuition was due, by the way, uh, in a, uh, you know, not a surprise decision, but one that I think got everybody talking. I know it did. Uh, The University of North Carolina decided yesterday to move all of its undergraduate students back out of the classrooms and into full time remote learning. And that prompted a whole lot of discussions about college football, what that means for college football. How this could work. Could you possibly play college football both at Chapel Hill and elsewhere across the country? If the students aren't on campus, but the players are. And people saying, well, doesn't that mean they'd be deemed essential employees? Or wouldn't that be the ultimate exposure of the amateurism sham? Now, you know I've been very critical of amateurism. Because it's got its roots in Great Britain and, and, you know, it's class warfare. The history of amateurism and amateurism in sports especially not a great one not a great history lots of folks haven't really bothered to look into it you know but even if you're just looking at it from a fairness perspective the fact that these kids have never been able to profit off their name image and likeness like everybody else 
Well, that's that seemed problematic to lots of people like me, and we're seeing that slowly but surely go away. It's dying a slow death. But uh, getting back to the point, people saying, well, doesn't this expose the sham of amateurism? You know, if you if you keep these kids on campus to play college football while schools like North Carolina decide to send everybody to remote learning, you know, how are they not essential employees? How is that safe? Well, from someone who has very vocally and publicly taken COVID seriously because it should be taken seriously for the reasons we've talked about at length. I trust the science. I trust medical experts. They've gone to school for years and years and years to learn the things that they've learned and are trying to convey to the general public. I believe in it all. I also don't think it means that you're anti-science or anti-medicine or don't care about people's lives and safety. If you look at what happened at Chapel Hill yesterday and what's happening at Clemson and a couple other campuses across the country and say, well, if you're talking about college football being played, this is the best case scenario for college football because it was just a week on campus in Chapel Hill before there was an outbreak and 134 students are now known to have tested positive. Now, there are those among you that would say, oh, that's 0.4% of the, the student body. How big a deal could that possibly be? Well, North Carolina wasn't testing anybody coming back to campus. Not students, not faculty, no one. So as we know, exponential growth is a thing. It's math, it's science. And if you're not testing everyone, well, it's hard to know how many people have actually been infected. But the larger point here is that North Carolina made the decision that seemed kind of obvious all along to a lot of people. If you have the means and the ability to go off campus or learn remotely, well, for a single semester or two, wouldn't it be wise to do that? Now, as it pertains to football, again, this becomes sort of a de facto bubble in a way. And and again, that is the best case scenario because it's a bubble that you don't have to pay a dime to construct. And why does that matter? Well, we know that the NBA, which has done remarkably well in the bubble in Orlando, in keeping its players safe and COVID-free, it has shown us that it's worked. By the way, the NBA also, as we talked about yesterday, funding that Yale study to create a saliva direct test that is both incredibly cheaper and scalable and could be a game changer, pun intended, for all of sports. But the NBA has kind of led the way. They've been taking all sorts of shots from all over the place because of the Black Lives Matter painted on the floor and the embrace of social justice initiatives and, by extension, politics. But the NBA has also led the way throughout sports in a pandemic. So we know that sports in a bubble can be done if done correctly. The NHL is doing a remarkable job in its own right in playing sports in a bubble and showing us that it works. So you go back to, is it then, how is it safe to have these football players on campus if it's not safe to have the student body on campus. Well, that should go without saying because, again, it's a de facto bubble, and these students who some will remain on campus in dorms, others are going home, they do have that option. And by the way, kudos to the University of North Carolina because I'm hearing that they're offering to prorate dining hall money to return money for dormitories and things like that. That's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do. You know, these kids shouldn't be asked to sit around in dorm rooms for an entire semester learning it remotely entirely. You can do that anywhere. And I also don't think that in, in terms of the essential employee argument, which was brought to me yesterday on Twitter when I brought this up, you know, doesn't that make them essential employees if the students stay on campus to play, if the players stay on campus to play? Well, no, I don't think it does. Now, I, I also think that there are people out there who will hear me say this and hear this argument and think, oh, he's, he's, he's anti-player. You know, he just wants football at all costs. That's ridiculous. If you listen to this show, you know that's not the case. If it's not safe, don't play. 
but it is safer to have these players on campus to not have students there to avoid mixing in lecture halls and labs and dining halls and everything else or as little as possible it actually mitigates much of the risk okay and then in terms of asking these players to play just like we've seen across the country these players should be allowed to opt out of the season if that's what's best for them and remain on scholarship and continue to take classes because again someone said to me yesterday but kb if they go play football while the rest of the student body's coming off of campus that, that has to mean they're essential employees right no because you don't have to force anybody to play in fact every single player on the roster of north carolina's football team and every football team across the country should be able to opt out free of judgment free of consequence free of penalty and stay on scholarship that should be all of their options right and for some that is the absolute right decision because of elderly parents in the home or an immunocompromised relative or anything along those lines they should be able to opt out but in terms of wanting to play which is there any doubt at this point that the overwhelming majority of these players want to play is that even arguable at this point preppy i would ask you you've done a lot of talking this morning so i won't tax you too much this morning <laughs> but is it, is it even debatable to your mind at this point that the majority of these players want to get back out there on the football field yeah, and I mean, these kids know the, I mean, they're college kids. Even if there's risk, they go do stupid stuff all the time. I'm not saying fo playing football is stupid, but I'm just saying they're college kids. They want to live while they're young. Like, they want to play football. I mean, from what I've seen, so do the parents, too. I don't I don't remember seeing many parents say that they don't want their kids to play. But these college kids, you know they want to play. And, I mean, you always don't go with the college kids' judgment because it's always not the best. But, yeah, oh, yeah. of course they want to play. No, no, I, I don't think that you leave it up to 18 exactly. to 22-year-olds. But they are grown people. Mm -hmm. They are adults. Mm -hmm. So they do get a say, and they should have a say. Now, if you want to parse totally it, agree. If, if you want to try to draw some imaginary line between Players Association and Union like Dabo Sweeney's insisting on, fine, go right ahead. I'll argue with you on that all day. But <laughs> we, what we fundamentally agree on is that these players should have a say mm -hmm. in what they do this fall because they are grown individuals. I know, the brain doesn't completely stop developing until 25 and – you know, you don't always make, I didn't make the best decisions you know, at, at 19, 20, 21. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't, I didn't make the best decisions. And, and I, I get really, really frustrated with this argument because we have become so siloed in these discussions that if you even hint at the possibility that college football could be played in the ACC or the SEC or the Big 12, well, you must just be some rube who, who, who denies science and, you know, doesn't care about the safety of others. You must think that COVID's a hoax. no. No, I, I think it's very serious. I also think, as Chip Carey articulated beautifully on this show yesterday, we can't hide inside forever. Yep. We have to live intelligently. We have to do things like Nick, <laughs> Nick Saban. How many minds were blown across Alabama yesterday when Nick Saban issued a lengthy statement begging people to wear a mask? Because there are good reasons behind it, and it may very well dictate whether or not they have football in the state of Alabama. Nick Saban was blowing lids all over the place in Alabama yesterday. But it, it's, it's, you have to be in one silo or the other. When you're talking to a lot of these people, no, you have to balance the science and the medicine and understanding that getting a virus under control is important while also understanding it's not the end of the world. We can't hide inside forever. And there are real ramifications and implications to forcing these kids to not play football and sit inside for another six months, hoping that a vaccine is, is developed and distributed and it's going to fix everything. It won't. Hell, even Dr. Fauci said a month ago, a potential vaccine may not work incredibly effectively on everyone. The professionals are telling you this. So it's okay to try to balance the seriousness of a pandemic while we get it under control and also say there are, there are very real consequences 
to not playing college football. And I'm not just not talking. I'm not talking about the bottom line, by the way, of these athletics departments. I- I'm not. I'm not talking about as you know, Co- Coach Mike Gundy so eloquently put it a couple of months ago, running all this money through the state of Oklahoma. No, I'm talking about the mental health of these young student athletes. I'm talking about the mental health of high school seniors. You know, who are, who want to play there. Uh, and I know I'm dipping into high school football, but it ties into the same thing. The mental health of these young athletes, many of whom will go pro in something other than sports, but sports is what allows them to get a scholarship, to go to a four-year university. These things have to be taken into account. Things can be done simultaneously. And so I'm, I'm watching this debate take place yesterday. You know, people hand-wringing and upset about what North Carolina did or didn't do. They did or didn't test compared to Tulane or Arizona State or all these other places. Well, the truth is that the students leaving campus, the student body being away from Chapel Hill for a short while, may be the best thing for everybody, but it also may be the best thing for college football. Because college football might be secondary on the hierarchy of important things in life, and that's true. There are far more important things in the world. But for a lot of people, it is wildly important. And it's okay to point that out. Never mind the argument that many of these students may very well be safer on campus with their teams, with their coaches, with the medical professionals, being tested three times weekly. If they were to contract it, you know, being monitored, having EKGs and echocardiograms and everything else right there available to them, where they may very well not have that access if they were to go home and do remote learning. You can absolutely intake two sets of information at once and come to a conclusion that shouldn't be so wildly polarizing to people. 704-570-9610. Asa Abloy phone lines, building center text line. Let me know what you're thinking about this. North Carolina's decision. After a week on campus, which I'm not even going to get into the money behind higher education. I mean, the day that tuition was due, they make this announcement. Dorms and dining halls are incredibly lucrative to big-time universities. You know, we we know this is the case. A lot of people were calling out UNC and all these universities, you know, for, for the kind of hypocrisy that I think many perceived that to be yesterday. But from a strictly college football standpoint, that conversation... Is it really outrageous and offensive to say, maybe this is actually the best case scenario for college football, creating de facto bubbles, like the one that may have just been created in Chapel Hill? Your thoughts. Building Center text line, Asa Abloy phone lines. We'll talk about it. And when we come back, one of the great voices of college football yesterday made a suggestion to all of college football's power brokers about what should be the new norm moving forward. And I think he's absolutely right. I'll explain it next here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. You have. Sports Radio FNZ back with you on a Tuesday morning. Kyle Bailey with you. Coming up in 20 minutes, Rick Bennell, Charlotte Observer, Hornets beat writer. He's with us every Tuesday morning. And we'll talk about the Hornets, the draft lottery coming up on Thursday. What are they looking for? What would he like to see them do? Something we've touched on a couple of times in the past several weeks, but it's really time to dig into it. Plus... Of course, the NBA playoffs beginning last night. Some incredible performances. A couple of great games. Luka Doncic with a playoff debut record of 42 points. Donovan Mitchell continuing to torture Hornets fans. 57. He went off in the first playoff game yesterday. And Kemba won a playoff game with the Boston Celtics. So we got a bunch to get to with Rick coming up in 20 minutes. But we're talking about college football. 
and talking about North Carolina's decision yesterday uh, after a, a, a COVID-19 outbreak on campus to send students home and, and to go full remote learning, which is something that I don't think surprised many people, but it took us into a college football co- a conversation because many jumped right to, well, this doesn't bode well you know, for college football this fall if, you know, if, if they already are sending students home. Well, I mean, if you listen to much of the conversation, nothing is bode well for the, uh, the what is it? What is the past tense? Is it boded? Bade? I don't even know what that is, Prep. Do you know what Bade the, sounds good to me. Bade sounds good. I'm not, <laughs> I, I haven't even had to use the past tense verb or version of bode in a long, I don't know if I've ever used that. But anyway, I mean, nothing has been a good indicator for college football in the last couple of months if you're listening to most of the discussions. But you know, North Carolina sending everybody home yesterday and... A lot of folks, again, saying, well, this doesn't bode well for college football. I think it's the opposite. I think it's quite the opposite, honestly. You know, there, there, it, there's there's a couple of ways to look at this. And I also, as I said to start the show, don't think it means that you're anti-medicine, anti-science, anti-mask, anti-social distancing to say, well, if you're going to let these kids go full remote learning for a semester or two, and if we know college football programs, especially in the Power Five, are willing to pony up the money, for testing, for monitoring, for all the health and safety protocols, and these kids are desperately wanting to play, the vast majority of them, you can allow them to opt out and to do so to stay on scholarship, free of judgment, free of consequence. In fact, it might be the best decision for a lot of these kids to opt out. But that doesn't mean that you can't play college football, especially if you're on a campus where these sorts of things are happening, and by going remote learning, you're creating a de facto bubble. And and that's... That's a good thing the way, when you're looking at it through the prism of college football. You're creating a de facto bubble that you don't have to build or construct. I mean, the NBA paid $150 to $200 million to construct that bubble down in Orlando. These are de facto campus bubbles. And the motivation is there for these kids to stay on the straight and narrow because they want to play football. They know what's at stake. And if you're sending many of these off campus, now some of these, a lot of these kids will stay in Chapel Hill or Clemson, or pick your favorite college university town. Some will stay. You know, a lot are going home. They're not going to stick around in a dorm for six months and be on campus just to take classes all the time online. So in some ways, this actually is very conducive for playing a college football season. And I think the ACC and the SEC know that and are absolutely looking at it that way. So I'm, I'm looking at this thinking, okay, this might be the best avenue to pull this off. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that you're prioritizing sports or prioritizing college sports above life and death and seriousness and medicine. And that. It doesn't mean that. It really doesn't. I just think that you have to look at it and say, this is an opportunity. And it's okay to say, we're watching baseball play through. We're watching the NBA play through. Major League Baseball, by the way, has gotten its arms around. The, the, the outbreaks with the Marlins and the Cardinals – Things have quieted down for Major League Baseball. Rob Manfred, for all of his failures and all of his missteps, put the fear of God in these players a couple of weeks back and said, get this under control or we're done. I don't want to hear about anybody else going to a casino. I don't want to hear about anybody else on the Marlins roster going out to a a coffee shop, to a cafe, on dates, whatever the hell they were doing. He said, get this under control or we're done. We, and and not, to, not to mention the fact that we now know that we can watch these kids learn from you know, what's happening in, in other sports. So it's okay to have some optimism around this. And, and I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the North Carolina public university system. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Governor Cooper and you know, those in charge left it up to each individual student or each individual campus, each individual university. So you know, I got people asking me, what's State going to do? What's ECU going to do? What's Duke going to do? I, we'll see. I, I'm not really sure. 
But I do think this is in some ways conducive for pulling off a college football season. And that's a good thing. Okay. Saying it's a good thing. Again, I hate to keep putting these qualifiers on it, but it doesn't mean you don't care about anything but sports. Because this is important to a lot of people, to these student athletes, to these coaches, to these small college towns, you know, that that want to at least see some revenue come in. It's okay to point that out. It doesn't doesn't mean that you don't care about the lives and safety of others. I just I feel it's really important to point that out because we've become so siloed in this conversation that you either don't care about any of it or all you want to do is hide inside for six months. For most people, it's a combination of the two. And that's probably a healthier perspective. Coming up in 16 minutes, Rick Bunnell, Charlotte Observer, will join us. We'll talk about the draft. We'll talk about the NBA playoffs. Prep, I saw you tweeting last night that you you would love to see the Dallas Mavericks beat the Clippers. 100%. And and I, I'm kind of right there with you. Um, but the, by the way, the, the NBA playoffs opened up. The, the Vegas sports books had no clear-cut title favorite. For whatever reason, I don't know what they had no clear-cut title favorite, but now it's the Clippers. And the Clippers survived a, a 42-point explosion from Luka. Chris Stapps Porzingis picks up a, a second technical late on a very, very questionable decision by the officials. He gets ejected. The Clippers hang on. I don't know if they can win it, but I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I love the Kawhi story of possibly winning another title with a third team, mm-hmm. but I also really like this Dallas Mavericks team. Yeah, I'm right there with you. There's just some players on the Clippers that I'm just not very fond of. I think... Patrick Beverly is completely overrated to me. He's not that great of a defender. Last night he had like six points and five fouls at one point, but he gets talked about all the time. Like he's some great player, not the biggest fan of him. And I'm not the biggest fan of Paul George either. I just, I don't know. I would have loved to see him stay in Indiana and do it by himself. I was a big fan of him when he was there, but yeah, I'm just not a big fan of him, but I love Luca too. Yeah, look, it's it's a fun team to watch. So we'll get into some of this playoff stuff with Rick Bunnell coming up here in a couple of minutes, but now it's time for snap judgment. We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We gotta keep our composure. What the hell's going on out here? I'm not gonna stop yelling because then that'll mean I lost the fight. Your language is offensive. Instantly, I regret saying that. That was a horrible thing to say. I may be wrong, but I doubt it. You know, Reese Davis, ESPN, has been very, very vocal throughout this college football discussion. And he's been. One of the leading voices saying that the word he's using is irresponsible to play spring football. And and I, I agree with much of what he's saying when it comes to that. that I mean, it's a lot of games in the spring. I, the, the, the other issues aside, you know, with trying to pull off a spring season, it's a lot of football. And Reese Davis was back in the discussion again in a big way yesterday. The SEC revealed its full 2020 football schedule yesterday, and and Reese Davis, host of College Game Day, said the 10-game conference season is something that all Power 5 leagues should adopt. And he was speaking on the SEC Network Reveal Show. Davis said he's long championed 10 league games, another Power 5 game, and then a do-what-you-want game to make up a 12-game regular season. Saying, quote, I've been a proponent of this before the pandemic. I think this is the way it should be. They should play 10 conference games, and they should do it every year, pandemic or not. The ACC should do it. The Big Ten should add another game, and they should do it. And the Pac-12 should, too. I think a 10-game conference schedule and still have one more game against a Power 5 opponent when normal times return and the 12th game teams can do whatever they want. I think this is the wave of the future. And I hope that this is something the SEC adopts permanently. End quote. He's all over it. I couldn't agree with him more. And especially now, especially now, first of all, 
I think in a an age where you have so many entertainment options, right? We've seen attendance decline across pretty much all sports in the last couple of years. College football, the NFL, Major League Baseball, attendance is declining across all sports. There's so much competition for your entertainment dollar. You know, people have less and less time, it seems, to spend on entertainment and less and less money to do so. So you better give people a reason to stick around. Even at Alabama, one of the most passionate diehard fan bases in the country, Nick Saban is fighting and begging and pleading with his own fan base in the student section to stick around for blowouts. Why? I mean, at a time where getting into college is more competitive than it's ever been, as I said, the entertainment dollar doesn't go as far and you have so many options. I I have all the, the sympathy in the world for these small schools, these FCS schools that are working on shoestring budgets, you know, and trying to keep sports alive when they don't make the kind of money that Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan do. I feel for them. But it's not Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan's responsibility to subsidize these small athletics departments. And quite frankly, as a sports fan, I don't want to have to take a week off. And I and I don't, okay? If my Hokies, if my alma mater's playing on a Saturday, if they're playing Savannah State, I'm probably at least going to watch a bit of it. But a bit of it is the key phrase there. By the time it gets out of hand, I'm out. And especially if I'm there in a hot stadium in September and it's 90 degrees outside and I'm sweating my tail off and it's a blowout, I'm, I'm out of there. So if college football wants to continue to engage people and keep them coming back and give them more of a reason, a sense of urgency each and every week to not just be there, but to stick around, stop playing these cupcake games. This is an opportunity to go to 10 conference games, to play one power five opponent. And if you still have to schedule, you know, a lesser team, a cupcake opponent, go for it. But I'd love to see these teams schedule two power five opponents in their place maybe not all of them because there are some group of five teams that are absolutely deserving and hell even better than many power five schools so keep scheduling the houston's the cincinnati's the boise's i like that too but but no more no i mean (laughs) no more sam houston states no and i realize this is not a great example because they're a pretty good fcs team no more eastern washington's if you're alabama play a 10 game conference schedule play a power five opponent play a houston play a cincinnati Play an ECU, something along those lines. But Reese Davis is all over it. It's time for college football's power conferences to adopt a 10-game conference schedule and give fans more and better games to watch each and every week. That's Snap Judgment. Inspired by Carolina Custom, if you can dream it, they can build it. Go to carolinacustomwheels.com. Rick Bunnell, coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll talk NBA. We'll talk playoffs in the NBA draft lottery. Prep, what do you want to see the Hornets do? I know you're a Bills fan, but uh, you also happen to be a Hornets fan. What do you want to see the Hornets do? Uh, I guess it depends on where they pick, but what do you want to see them go after in the draft? Um, maybe go after a player that's actually going to turn into something this time. I don't know. I just uh, We were talking about this earlier this morning. It's just you just see these guys like Devin Booker that we passed on, Donovan Mitchell that we passed on. I just want to see whoever it is. I don't even want to think of a guy right now, but just whoever they go after, I just want to see him pan out for once. Like, Can we just get a guy that pans out, please? You know, just somebody that'll fit in with P.J. Washington, who I think will be very good, and Terry, and, you know, these other Devontae guys. And I just I just want somebody that'll pan out. Like, we deserve that. After all these guys that we've missed on, like, please, just somebody be an all-star for us. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's hard to ask. I'm not going to say it's not hard to ask, but, like, please, just somebody pan out. You yeah. Know? Oh, man. Yeah, I, I just I want to see them make a smart move. Yeah. I want to see them make a smart pick. The only thing that bothers me when it comes to this conversation is, is people, you know, best player available, best player available. Well, if you end up picking eighth, I mean, what if Cole Anthony's the best player available? Is that what you're doing? Because you've already got a Devontae Graham and a Terry Rozier. I mean, are you going to draft another point guard? Yeah. Is that the play? Because, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm about that. I want to see a rim protector. You know, whether it's Wiseman, which would be great. Yeah. You know, Ogonkwu out of USC, that would be fantastic. Denny Avia from Israel, the uh, the European League, I'd love to see that too. 
I think the only thing that might be a little bit meh to me is if they end up drafting a point guard. Yeah. That'd be about it for me. Yeah, and it, there's been draft misses in the past, and they've even accumulated Damian Lillard to that, but we had Kemba. So you're not going to draft Damian Lillard when you already have Kemba. So, yeah, I think maybe point guard is a position you let play out like Devontae. I think there's a ton of talent there, but I think a big man like Wiseman might be the pick if he's available. There you sure. go. All right, Preppy in with me on a Tuesday morning, filling in. He's working overtime. We appreciate him. We'll come back. We'll talk to Rick Bunnell, Charlotte Hornets beat writer. Hell, he's covered the NBA for 30 years. We'll talk Hornets. We'll talk draft lottery. We'll talk playoffs next here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Back with you on Sports Radio FNZ, Kyle Bailey. On a Tuesday morning, Preppy sitting in for Evan Smoke Ludwig. We appreciate him working some overtime. We got a bunch to get to, including the NBA playoffs, the draft lottery coming up on Thursday. And as we do each and every Tuesday morning at 1040, we enlist the help of a man who's covered the National Basketball Association for a long time. Our buddy Rick Bunnell, Charlotte Observer. He's back with us on the Technicom Hotline. Rick, how are you, man? I'm well, Kyle. I hope you are. I am. I'm doing well. Uh, first, your reaction to uh, the first night of the NBA playoffs. I know those seeding games were – I was reading Chris Mannix this morning, and, and he was right. You know, a lot of those seeding games were kind of ho-hum, but, man, they, they turned up well, the intensity Kyle, yesterday, right? Well, Kyle, i, I got to say that, um, you know, if you, take, if you take the Brooklyn game out of it, yeah. that was as entertaining a night of basketball as you could possibly hope for. If the neutral court is going to make for much more in close, intense basketball, because pe- because home crowds are not going to dissipate one team's um, fire. Well, no, that's true. And and so on. What like how have you noticed anything about how this is impacting the play? I don't think we think about these things during it. But I was really interesting in the handicapping angle leading up to this, right? With no fans in the stands, no home court advantage. Have you noticed anything on that front? Uh, no, because you know something? I I think maybe what we're seeing is that maybe players have been much better than we thought at sort of tuning out what goes on outside those lines. Um, boy, I'll tell you, wasn't Donovan Mitchell incredible last night? And the other thing that came really to mind to me was um, I didn't get to watch all of the, uh, all the Dallas game, but Jason Tatum, before our very eyes, is becoming one of the ten best players in the whole league. What, expand on that, because I was just talking about Tatum a couple of days ago. He did all that work with Kobe Bryant. They were they were working together a ton, you know, to uh, to round out his game, to sharpen some things, and it sure looks like it's paid off. What what do you think's clicked for him? He's a very intelligent, eclectic guy, and that matters. Um, I have always thought that. Um, Smart guys probably don't get enough credit for how much difference that means as far as being able to express their athletic gifts. Um, He's a generalist. Sure, he scores a ton, but he's long, he's strong, he he thinks about the nuances of the game. There is no area where you say, boy, Jason Tatum is letting people down. 
Rick Bennell, Charlotte Observer, he's with us on the Technicom Hotline. Luca sets a, uh, a playoff record, 42 points in his postseason debut. I, I've I've heard the Larry Bird comparisons. I, w- I was listening this morning, uh, maybe yesterday, uh, to someone say, look, when he was coming out, we had some GMs pass on him because they thought he wouldn't play a lick of defense when he got to the league. Well, Larry Bird also you know, was uh, not a great defender, but nobody could stop him either. As you've watched Luca, and especially last night, where's this kid headed? Well, he's so much more than a scorer in the sense that, you know, he's a facilitator. You know, when, when you and I have talked about Danny Avia, and I'm not making a comparison here. I'm more talking about the generalities of skill sets. The ability to be both score and be a connector to another player as a secondary ball handler, that's always been important in the NBA, but I think it's in this age of positionless basketball, it's become that much bigger a deal. Rick, as far as Kimball Walker and the Celtics, they, they beat the Sixers last night. And, you know, I, I see Sixers fans, they're angry. You know, I saw some Sixers fans saying, well, outside of, uh, you know, the, the Joel Embiid and uh, Jason Tatum matchup, which is a wash, that the Sixers are the more talented basketball team. I don't know that I buy that. And I also don't know that I buy that the Celtics aren't a true title contender when it's all said and done. I, did, did anything last night about the Celtics win do anything for you, move you in any way? People have told you that they think the Sixers are a more talented basketball team? Oh, Rick, I read I read dozens of them last night. I was floored. That shocks me because the fourth or fifth best player on the Celtics is, you know, is arguably one of the 50-75 best play all 50-75 best players in the whole league. I mean, when 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 Brown and Tatum are so good that Jason Hayward becomes ancillary he doesn't he isn't a primary scoring option that's an amazing wealth of talent there and i think brad has done a really good job of using everybody you know even if they're playing a little bit out of position i really like brad's attitude of i'm going to put my five best out there and you need to figure out how to adapt to them i am not going to change for you I'm really going to watch closely this afternoon, Rick, what the Milwaukee Bucks look like against Orlando, and it's just one game. I don't want to make it a referendum. I still like Milwaukee a lot, but there have been too many times in the last week or two, and quite honestly, even before the shutdown, that I wondered, is this really a championship-caliber team? And the more I watch Toronto, even without Kawhi Leonard, this looks like it, it, it might, could be, or should be the favorite in the East. What do you see? Oh, I, I think it's definitely a, a, a coin flip between those two teams. Sometimes I think as, as a sports society, we just don't pay attention enough to experience as opposed to a simple, you know, sort of aggregate of talent. Um, those, those guys who played with Kawhi last season, they are, have been in so many gut situations now. They know how to close people out. They know to get, how to get on top of people. Um, Fred Van Vliet has become just a great supplement to Kyle Lowry. They're a really, really good basketball team, and they define some of the parts. Rick Bunnell, Charlotte Observer, he's with us on the Technicom Hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bunnell. The Hornets, uh, anything about these seeding games, playoffs, click for you about uh, possible comparisons or uh, reasons for optimism as it pertains to the Hornets roster? I don't know about optimism, Kyle. What this illustrated is that um, the experience that teams like uh, like Phoenix and Washington gained um, just puts 
I agree with what Mitch Kupchak said to me Friday that, you know, this has put them that much further back in the developmental process. And I understand that all this stuff is a function of negotiation between the league and the union, but I'm getting to the point where I'm really surprised that that, that a solution to this let them practice uh, issue has not been um, has not been reached yet. I mean, how does does that issue come to a head? What does that look like? I, I don't know. Like, if I'm Borrego, I am I am pretty upset about this. I, I get that we're all you know in a pandemic here, but they're really behind the eight ball if they have to go nine and a half months without any practice, without any developmental opportunities. You know, in the way these other teams are getting them, how does this scenario in your mind come to a head? I think you would agree with me that between James Borrego and Mitch Kupchak, Mitch is by far the more calculated, understated person. Uh-huh. He got fired up. He got fired up with me on the phone Friday when he started saying that you know he looks at the situation and he wonders if this is you know this is it pushed them back a year to a year and a half relative to the competition and development. Um, I think at the end of the day, teams will be allowed to do some practicing in September in their own facilities. I don't think that any scrimmages are likely to be approved, but that's okay. JB told me, you know, a month ago that if he could do nothing but at least work with the team as a group, that was fine with him. Rick, let's talk draft. The uh, the lottery on Thursday. The, I think if, if my math is correct, the Hornets have a, a 26% chance to pick in the top four, a 73% chance to pick eighth, ninth, or tenth. So we know what they're they're likely to be doing. But if they were to get lucky and land a top four pick, who would you imagine they're targeting? Um, I, first of all, you know, I think it's very dangerous to look at this roster and think about needs because Mitch has, has signaled so clearly that, you know, roster balance right now is not his priority. I do think that Wiseman or Avia definitely address areas where they really need help. Okay, well, see, I agree with that. I also see Wiseman. Like, and I'm looking at one mock draft, but I've, I've seen a couple that have Wiseman falling out of the top five altogether. Why do you suspect that may be? Um, he's just he's a wild card. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the body of work against quality competition. Um, you know, Mitch didn't really address this a lot when I asked him the question the other day, but. You know, we need to think about how different this NBA draft process is going to be from the NFL in the sense that when the, NFL, when the, when, when the world shut down, the NFL's um, scouting process for that draft was all but completed. The NBA lost an NCAA tournament, lost most of a conference tournament, may lose a combine. We don't know whether anybody will be allowed to come in for individual workouts. Um, Hoop Summit in Portland is gone. Um, it's just different. I, I will say this. Mitch told me that he had all of his European um, scouting um, finished in January just by kind of a coincidence of when he broke away to be there because he usually likes to do that in late March and early April, and he's really glad that he was able to do his homework before everything shut down. Who do you think is the safest picked at the top of this draft? I mean, I'm looking at Edwards, Ball, Toppin, Hayes. I mean, there are names out there. Who Who is the safest pick in your mind? I'll tell you who I think is just the opposite of a safe pick is, oh. Andrew, is, is Edwards, Anthony Edwards. And I say that because everybody knows how talented he is. He really didn't make Georgia any better at all. And, 
I think people kind of scratch their head and they say, you know, is this somebody who's going to post a lot of numbers that don't necessarily translate into wins? Rick Bunnell, Charlotte Observer. Follow him on Twitter, at Rick underscore Bunnell. He follows us or joins us every Tuesday morning at 1040. We appreciate you, buddy. Have a great day. Thanks. Have a great day, Kyle. There you go. Rick Bunnell with us on the Technicom hotline, 704-570-9610. Asa Abloy phone lines, building center text line. Uh, you can find us there. And I've got a few people reaching out and asking or questioning or whatever else uh, you want to call it. But uh, I, I don't know that much about it, but I will at least address it quickly as we step aside. We are aware of the news as Panthers or excuse me, Charlotte Hornets PR uh, just put out on social media minutes ago that uh, the Hornets radio play-by-play voice, John Fokey, has been suspended indefinitely for a tweet that he sent out yesterday that uh, included a racial slur that was quickly deleted. The Hornets' statement says they have suspended John Fokey indefinitely as they conduct an investigation. Um, I, I don't know much more than that. I uh, certainly am not going to speak on something that I have limited information on, but that is, in fact, the case for those of you asking and wondering. John Fokey has been suspended indefinitely pending an investigation by the Hornets. That is per their Charlotte Hornets PR account a couple of minutes ago. So if more comes out on that front, we will certainly let you know. Uh, but that is some breaking news as of this morning. John Fokey has been suspended indefinitely by the Hornets for a tweet yesterday featuring a racial slur, and the Hornets are investigating. Uh, obviously, I work with John on the Hornets pregame show, and uh, you know he and I have developed a close working relationship, but I, I don't know much more than that. So I'm aware of the story like a lot of you are. You're asking questions. We'll try to get you some answers if they come out. If not, we continue the conversation, and we do so next as we talk a little NFL. The, I mean, just you had some conversations yesterday about Matt Rule versus Ron Rivera. Who wins the most games in the next five months? We got to get to that. We got to get to that. And I think it's a no-brainer what the answer is. I'll tell you next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.